Good morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the day that the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and we are glad in it. I thank you for joining us on this morning. What a privilege it is to come into your homes and to bring the house of God into your house. Uh, we want you to share this with your neighbors and with your friends. Let them know that we're on live right now and share this good news, this good worship experience with your family and your friends. This is not something you want to keep to yourself, but you want to share it and let the world know that Jesus Christ is alive and well. We've come to celebrate this month, the birth of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're beginning into a new series, the uh, a very Merry Christmas. We'll get into that later in the series. But right now, why don't we get into the worship experience itself? The praise team is here, and we're just going to praise the Lord by saying yes to his will and to his way. Let's say yes this morning.
My name is Dylan Stewart. I am honored to represent our youth deacon. Our scripture for the morning will come from Matthew, first chapter, and I'll be reading eight, verses 18 through 21, and they read as follows. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph of her husband, being just a man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for, for he shall save his people from their sins. May the Lord add a blessing to the readers, hearers, and doers of his holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pause to say thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for putting your hedge of protection around our families daily. As we journey to and from school during this pandemic, Father, we thank you for ordering our steps and keeping us safe. We thank you for our pastor and our K Chapel family and the ability to remain con connected during the challenging times. Father, I ask that today's lesson inspire us all to remain faithful in our work of being the type of Christians that you want us to be. We ask, we ask these blessings in your name, Son, Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. It's time now that we give now in this our tithe and offering period. You know that there are any number of ways that we can give in our tithe and offerings. You can do so by texting the number that's on your screen. You can also uh, give by way of our church app. As always, you can mail your offering or drop it by the office. Whatever you do, we simply ask that you give so regularly, liberally, and cheerfully, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Won't you give now in this our tithe and offering period? Try me now, the Lord says, and see if I will not open you the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you won't have room enough to receive it. Oh 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this offering that is being received today, as it will be used for the uplifting of your kingdom. As we journey through these days ahead, we ask, Father, that you prepare our journey, guide our footsteps, and the Holy Spirit watch over us every path we follow. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.
This is not the Christmas we had imagined. Usually by now, the cantata choir and the orchestra are in the final stretch of a rehearsal schedule that would have started sometime in September. All kinds of gatherings and fellowships would be taking place. The children in the Sunday school department would be getting their Christmas presentations together. But this, this is a complicated Christmas. Somebody called it a quarantine Christmas. Christmas that is situated in an unusually unconventional context. But here's the thing. So was the original Christmas. You think about it, the very first Christmas was not what we have made Christmas to be. It too was complicated. Birth of Christ was not this Hallmark movie that we gather the family around to watch during some holiday movie marathon. It, it was not some cinematic movie full of special effects and costumes and movie sets, but the very first Christmas was fraught with complications, challenges, and uncertainties. Take, for example, the, the first verse in the chapter, uh, second chapter of Luke's gospel says, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And when we read that, we know that this is the beginning of the narrative of Christ's birth. And if you grew up in the church, this verse is probably as much of a narrator's voice in the Christmas play as it is the Holy Scripture. But when you read this verse, just, just as a narrator's line to set the scene for the children's Christmas play, you miss the complicated context that's behind the Scripture. The fact that a decree from Caesar Augustus goes out to tax the world can't just be read over lightly. One man sends out a decree to tax the world. That is to say, the Roman Empire, which at that time comprised most of the habitable parts of the world. That first verse then paints a context of Roman oppression. This decree was an enrollment of people and property so that Rome could then levy a taxation policy. Mary and Joseph's trip to Bethlehem was not them going home to see their family for a holiday vacation. It, it wasn't even them going home to share the birth of their first child with their family. It was them being forced by an occupying nation to register themselves with the Roman government so that Rome could remain in power. So this very pregnant teenager with her young blue-collar fiancé make this road trip. And while there, they bring the Messiah of the world into a complicated context of world domination by Rome. It's, it's not the kind of Christmas for which you would have hoped. That was the first Christmas. Not cute, not cozy, not Christmassy as we know it. Complicated. The Gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, help us to explore the complications of this first Christmas through the eyes and the experiences of Mary, the mother of Jesus. This, this young girl, upon whose shoulders had been placed the enormous weight of bringing the Christ child into the world. Mary gives us a sense of hope and a measure of help for how to push and persevere our way through the challenges of this year and experience the fullness of this unusually complicated Christmas season. So in this series, we will hear the Christmas account through the voice and the viewpoint of Mary. 
thereby allowing us to explore the complexities that she faced as a young, poor woman of color, had to navigate and overcome in order to fulfill the purpose of birthing and raising Christ. Let's start at the beginning. Matthew's gospel, after Matthew provides an extensive genealogy of verses 1 through 17, he then pivots to the birth of Jesus. Matthew 1 and 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. So in this first sermon, I want to explore with you life interrupted. It was Women's Day 2017. I stood right behind me here with Lucretia, and we announced that I would be running for president of the General Missionary Baptist State Convention of Mississippi. For the course of the next few years, I would be building a campaign, building support, and building an agenda that would hopefully result in my being elected as the convention's next president. At 47 years old, I would be one of the youngest to have been elected to serve in that position. Momentum was building, support was growing. As the election was nearing, if I'm honest, I was optimistic about my chances of being elected. Convention met in Natchez in the early March of this year for our spring session, the last session we would have before the election being in July. Just a week after we closed that session, COVID-19 came and everything changed. Everything was interrupted. And while everybody was scrambling to try and figure out the new ways to do ministry, business, school, and life itself, the decision was made for the convention to delay the election for another year. And so instead of Buckley 2020, get the idea. Needless to say, I was disappointed. I was let down because of the work that had been put into this campaign over the last three years to, to have all of that interrupted, to have those plans that I've been praying about and things that I've been thinking about and working on for three years just interrupted, to have those hopes delayed, that momentum disrupted, my agenda, one that I believe God had given to me, just, just put on pause like that, particularly when when you see that work as not just some position, but a part of your mission, part of your calling, part of what you believe God has opened the door for you to do, and then interrupted. Sometimes life is met with interruptions that you didn't see coming, disruptions that you didn't anticipate, things that develop, that suddenly shift everything and cause you to have to replan, reprioritize, and repurpose. That's what happens with Mary. Her life up until this point had been pretty ordinary. The way that it was heading, it was going to be pretty ordinary. And ordinary wasn't a bad thing. It was a quiet, peaceable, respectable life. She, like many other Jewish girls, was looking forward to getting married, raising a fi family, being a good nurturer and a homemaker. 
and being a respectable, God-fearing wife and mother. That, that was the life that was most available to her and one for which she was preparing for herself. She was already engaged. The Bible used the term betrothed, which was a formal way of signifying that the couple was going to be married. In fact, a betrothal was even more definite than an engagement because it was a legally binding agreement for marriage. Very likely that this marriage was an arranged one either by the parents of Mary and Joseph or it was an agreement made between Joseph and Mary's father. To be honest, as was the case with many marriages in that day, it was less about how a woman felt about her suitor and more about how a man could provide for her needs. And apparently it had been determined that Joseph with his trade as a carpenter could provide for the needs of Mary and a growing family. So, so they were preparing to be married. Joseph would work at his trade. They would have some children. Mary would hopefully grow to love Joseph because apparently Joseph already had some pretty strong feelings for her. In the normal scheme of things, they would grow to become a healthy and as happy as possible Jewish family living under Roman oppression could be. That, that was the plan. And then this happens. An angel comes to Mary, announces to her that she will bring the Messiah into the world and everything changes. The life that she had been planning was interrupted. The things that she had been preparing for were disrupted. The hopes that she had been carrying were suddenly interrupted with a new reality. And the question this morning is, how do you handle life's interruptions? How do you deal with disrupted plans? What do you do when everything you've been waiting for, everything you've been planning around, everything that you've been looking forward to is taken off the table and you're left with some, some new reality, something that, that doesn't fit in the frame from which you've been working, something that, that doesn't look like the thing on which you've been waiting, something that doesn't reflect the future that you've been wanting. That what, what 2020 has been, a year that has just been interrupted. Interrupted plans, interrupted calendars, interrupted agendas, interrupted hopes, dreams, interrupted possibilities, interrupted family structures. It's been a year that's been interrupted by disease, interrupted by new designs, a year of just interruption. But here's what I've come to understand, Kate. Interruptions are oftentimes used by God to invite us to journey with him into spaces and experiences we otherwise would not go. God oftentimes uses the interruption of our plans to introduce us to something better than we had even imagined. That's what happened with Mary. Even at a young age, she had pretty much determined what her life would be and how her life would be and who she would be in life, but all of that was interrupted through an angel's announcement. God invites Mary to replace her ideas with his. If you don't get anything else from the sermon this morning, please remember that God's interruptions are better than our best ideas. Challenge for you 
to be willing to let go of what you've been planning and participate in the holy spontaneity of the spirit. Because the moment that you make your priority and your plans the ultimate thing and give no allowance for God to interrupt you, you then create restrictions whereby God wants to give you something different, something better, something of more eternal value and worth that you could only be given or gained through an interruption. Let's be clear. There are some things that you won't get or do or experience in your life if your life isn't interrupted. There's some prayers that you wouldn't pray except your life is interrupted. There's some growing that you would never do if your life were not interrupted. There are some experiences you would never have if your life were not interrupted. There are some encounters with God and some conversations with God and some understandings of God that you would never have if your life had not been interrupted. Some of you couldn't pray like you pray now. If you hadn't had some interruptions, you wouldn't know how to engage in spiritual warfare like you know now if there had not been some life interruptions. You, you would not know how to survive or, or that you could survive if you hadn't gone through some life interruptions. God uses interruptions, good and bad, to bring something of eternal value and worth into our lives. So yeah, Mary's life was interrupted with a new assignment, a new reality, this new role that she was being asked to take. It was necessary for her to deal with the disruption in a manner that would allow God's best for her to be realized. And so the first thing that Mary had to do and what you must be willing to do during the interruptions of life is abandon your own agenda. Abandon your own agenda. Matthew 1 and 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place on this way. When, when, his Mary, when, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Says her husband Joseph, we've we, we read it. This just man, he was not willing to put her to shame. He resolved to put her away quietly. You remember? The angel comes to Joseph and says to him, don't be afraid. Take Mary to be your wife because this thing that has been conceived in her, it is of the Holy Spirit. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So Mary's agenda was set to marry Joseph and to raise a family. But there was this divine interruption. And when life is interrupted, you see the fingerprint of God in that interruption, you have to learn how to abandon your own agenda. It's learning to give up your plans when something greater is being formed, something bigger is being developed, something divine is being planted in and through the disruption. You've got to be mature enough to handle when your plans are being providentially pushed aside. I like the way Solomon puts it in Proverbs 19 and 21. He says, many plans are in the man's, in, are in man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. 
In other words, we can plan a lot of things. We can fill the calendar with dates. We can make arrangements and agendas. We can sketch out proposals. We can write up budgets. We can draw up buildings. We can have lots of plans in our hearts to do this, that, and the other. But ultimately, only the counsel of the Lord is the thing that will stay and stand without it being disrupted. Think about this year, 2020, being the year of our church's 140th anniversary. Boy, did we have plans. We, we had a former gala plan in which we planned to announce the 1880 endowment fund. We had a gospel concert and fireworks show plan, the first fireworks show to take place in the Verdant Edition community. We, we had a Founders Day weekend plan during which we were going to ring the restored church bell and, and unveil plans for our future building. 2020 was full of plans. After things started to change, we determined early in the year that to try to do these things the way that we had planned them was just wasn't feasible. And we had to abandon that agenda. We, we had to refocus our attention on more pressing matters. We, we had to reimagine how we would do ministry and keep this flock together. We had to shift resources. And all of that required releasing what we had planned. Reminds me of what the Apostle James writes in James 4 and 13 through 15. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. In other words, while it's prudent to make plans, we must never lay claim upon our plans as being so definite and permanent and irreversible. Anything can happen to derail the plans of man. We don't know with any certainty what, what will happen the next day, what's going to take place tomorrow, which is why we must never become so prideful and caught up in our plans that we think them to be firm and fixed. This year has taught us anything. It should be that everything can change. And with the most in-depth of man's plans, the believer must always leave room for things to change. It means you're going to handle life interruptions. You've got to learn how to be flexible. That brings me to point number two, adapt to a new reality. Lou Holtz, the former Notre Dame football coach who received on this Thursday the Presidential Medal of Freedom, has more recently made some questionable comments. But there are some other quotes over the years attributed to Holtz that, that I believe is just good wisdom. Here's one quote by Holtz. He says, it's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. Here's another one. He says, ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do, but attitude determines how well you do it. But here's the one I, I want us to look at. He says, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Challenge for so many of us is responding appropriately to a new reality when ours has been interrupted. Mary had a choice to make. 
And so did Joseph. In, in fact, you get to hear more of Joseph's struggle in Matthew's narrative as he weighs his response to this new reality before him. Here he is preparing himself to marry his new bride and he discovers she's already pregnant. Not the way you want to start off your marriage. That wasn't the script. That wasn't on the agenda. He was supposed to marry this young, this young bride. They were supposed to have a family. He was supposed to support them through his trade as a carpenter. The, the male children were supposed to grow up and learn the trade themselves. And he and Mary were supposed to arrange for their son's marriages. And somewhere in between all of that, they would find a life of fulfillment and joy together. Grow old. And enjoy the rest of their lives. But life is not always so perfectly scripted. Life is not some movie set upon which we play out our own hopes uninterrupted. But life is filled with unscripted intermissions. And life requires from us some unrehearsed responses. You're going to get it right. You're going to respond right. If you're going to survive the interruptions of life, you've got to learn how to make some holy improvisations. That's, that's when you know the melody well enough that you can move by God's spirit in between the unknown spaces of life while something else happens that's organic. Something else happens that takes on a life of its own. And when you look up, you got something better than you could have planned yourself. You got something better than what you were moving towards because you were willing to move in the holy improvisations of life. You were willing to adapt to the new reality in front of you rather than holding on with a death grip to that which was being taken from you. My challenge to you this morning is make some holy improvisations out of life's interruptions. What you will discover is that God will arrange a whole new score. God will write a whole new composition. God will create a whole new arrangement that you never would have imagined or experienced without the interruption. Daily interruptions could well be divine iterations to what has become too predictable an experience. What do you mean, preacher? In other words, sometimes God interrupts us to shake up what has become too normal, too expected, too uninterested, and too narrow for a dynamic working of his spirit. This interruption in Mary and Joseph's life brought them something they could never have planned themselves. But they had to be willing to adapt to the new reality before them. That, that means putting some things on hold, rescheduling some things, shifting some things, waiting on some things. And in a word, adapting so that something new could happen. So often you hear the phrase survival of the fittest to describe Darwin's theory of natural selection. But, but Darwin's theory of natural selection was not that the fittest or the strongest specimen was the one to survive. Rather, it's the one that's able to adapt to the new environment, the one that's able to shift, to make the change changes necessary, to adjust to the new reality. That's the one most able to change and reproduce, the fittest for survival. But then thirdly, handling life's interruptions well requires that you adopt a theology of disruption. Reading the Bible will help you to develop a good theology about disruption. The Bible is filled with stories about time, life, 
and experiences being disrupted. Jesus come to terms with the fact that disruption is a tool that God uses with frustrating frequency for the good of those who love him, according to Romans 8 and 28. We will discover that God uses even those moments for his glory. Not only was the birth, but the very life of Christ was a disruption. Recall that Jesus posed an existential threat to the status quo. Uninterested in political power, he nonetheless attracted great crowds, upended livelihoods by overturning temple tables, and announced a new kingdom was at hand. If you were blessed with status quo and power and prestige, what Jesus came and did was an upsetting and unsettling combination of disruptions. But these disruptions by Christ weren't just for the sake of change. It was his mission to undermine the oppressive systems that had outlived their purpose and replace them with a new covenant by which all of creation could flourish. So he disrupts. He disrupts the Passover meal and replaces it with a meal to remember his coming sacrifice on Calvary's cross. He disrupts the Old Testament law not to destroy it, but to fulfill it by embodying its spirit. He disrupts the money changers in the temple to replace it with the true purpose and practice of worship done in spirit and in truth. Disruption is a tool of the divine hands of God. And when you adopt a theology of disruption, you won't be so thrown by it when it happens. Come to understand what Paul meant when he wrote, all things work together for good. Them who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. Adopting a theology of disruption means that you come to the point where you can see God's hand in everything because you've put everything in God's hand. You want to disrupt my plans, God? That's all right. It's okay. You want to interrupt my agenda? I'll say, yes, Lord, yes. If you want to do something different from what I anticipated, then Lord, thy will be done. Lastly, handling life's interruptions requires that you adjust your expectations accordingly. Now, Mary is given news that changes the trajectory of her life. Rather than simply marrying Joseph and raising a normal Jewish family, she is chosen to bring the Messiah of the world into the world. With that comes a whole different level of expectation. Internal expectations had to be running high. How do you raise the Redeemer? How do you mother the Messiah? How, how do you discipline divinity? How do you teach the omnipotent? What if you mess up in the process? What, what, what if you lose him one day in the crowd? What, what if you try to push him into his destiny too soon? What, what if you have to hide him to keep him from being killed? All of these expectations can push you to greatness or it can weigh you down. Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, wrote the following. He said, every human has four endowments, self-awareness, conscience, independent will, and creative imagination. These four give us the ultimate human freedom, the power to choose, to respond, and to change. And changing your expectations when life has been interrupted is what you must learn to do if you're going to handle it well. Sometimes we hold on to previous expectations or we create 
new ones that aren't even reasonable or healthy. And we end up hurting ourselves and those we love. You got to be willing to adjust your expectations according to the new reality. That's what people do all the time. Change their expectations for new ones and learn how to be thankful for those new expectations being met. They, it may not be the victories that you had in mind, but you learn how to be grateful for the ones that come your way. It may not be the high hopes that you had, but you've learned how to be thankful for the hurdles that you can't overcome. Some, some expectations are adjusted higher as Mary. Some are adjusted lower and some are just different is to make the appropriate adjustment. Man or the woman who've been married for 50 years plus, now one of them has to care for an aging spouse who's slowly losing their memory. That person has to change their expectations for how their story will end. The young couple who bring a special needs child into the world has to adjust their expectations for what a full life for their child looks like and how it will be lived. Not necessarily lowering the expectations, but different ones. Family has to release a family matriarch or patriarch has to reimagine what gatherings will look like and, and what they will be like without that person being there and, and adjust their expectations for who begins to take on those, those roles and responsibilities and or how they will be shared amongst the family. It's adjusting your expectations according to the situation. So Mary says something to the angel that's not in this text, but it's in Luke chapter one, verse 38. It says, Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Mary says, okay. My life is being interrupted now. This is not what I planned, not what I'd anticipated, not what I'd envisioned, but I will adjust my expectations according to your word, according to this new reality, according to what your will is for me, according to what God has determined to be my lot, according to what the Lord's plans and purposes are for my life. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes. Whatever your will is whatever your purpose is. If your purpose and your will is for me different than my own, God, I'll adjust my expectations so that yours will be lived out in me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. So this is a moment where you can say yes. Yes, Lord, yes, to your will, to your way for my life. Feel the Lord speaking to you and having spoke to you through this service. I want to invite you to say yes to the Lord. Open your heart. Simply say, Lord, I want you to be my, my Savior, my Redeemer, and God as my Father. Ready to do that. Won't you pray this prayer with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I give my life to you. I ask that you come into my heart. Make me a new creature in I believe Jesus to be the Son. I believe he died on a cross for my sin. I believe he rose again. Right now, by faith, I accept forgiveness of my sin. Pray that prayer. I want you to do one more thing. Call the number that's on your screen right now. 
someone who's waiting to talk with you, excited to pray with you and give you next steps in order that you might know how to live out your new faith in Jesus. All right now, we want to hear from you. God bless you and God keep you is our prayer. Thank you again for joining us on this first Sunday of December. And because it's the first Sunday of December, we do want to celebrate our December birthday babies. If you've got a birthday in the month of December, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Make sure you give some well wishes in that chat line and some thumbs ups and let those December birthday babies know that we're thinking about them at this time. God bless you and God keep you is our prayer. And now may the grace of God and the sweet communion of his Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with each of you now, henceforth, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, Father, and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go in peace.